The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of March. Ira Bell, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector, Tristan Pantorato, Wilshire, White, Wind, Wolf, L, Kara Link, and Marty Thompson. The GameCube GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Yeah, and that's why uh, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 isn't allowed at McDonald's at 3 a.m. Oh, oh, uh, we're live, Neil. That's such a cool story. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I got to say to you, though, Mike, last week we were talking about PGA Tour 2005, the Tiger Woods classic game, and uh, I was editing the podcast, and you said, 2005 has everything. And I know what you meant. You meant you meant the game, but I literally yeah. heard it as the year 2005 has everything. So, Mike, what did you mean by that? What about the year 2005? If, you, if someone had to say to you, Mike, what was it like being alive in the year 2005? What would be some highlights for you? Does anything stick out? Um, <laughs> well, first of all, that's on you. That's on you for interpreting my, my 2000 Tiger Woods 2005, just saying 2005 in the Tiger Woods PGA <laughs> Tour pantheon. Uh, I assumed you would have assumed that I know. Uh, that was there. But yes, uh, if I were going to talk about just 2005, the the NHL lockout is actually what comes up. Like if without me Googling anything or just thinking off the top of my head, I remember the NHL lockout was 2005. And I was sad because mm. I like hockey, and yeah, there was, was no hockey that year. Uh, what is two thousand five? Like I got, I got, I got one for so? you. Yeah, I got one for you here, Mike. Yeah. Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith came out in two thousand five. Oh, for me, of that, that's a pretty big highlight for me. The Revenge of the Sith coming out. Of course, in a couple months, we're gonna have the Obi Wan Kenobi TV show coming out. So, so anything Star Wars in the early two thousands was pretty hit or miss. But uh, I enjoyed going to that movie with you. So, if someone had to say two thousand five has everything. What does it have? And I'd be like, we got to see Anakin become Darth Vader in 2005 in person. And it was it was pretty cool. It was all right. I can't believe I, that wasn't my first thought. I should have. <laughs> my friend Tara is going to absolutely lambast me for not thinking of Revenge of the Sith uh, as the first thing. The thing is, it doesn't uh, feel that of. long ago. That's my problem. Yeah, it does feel like it was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I think, Mike, I have a good idea. I think we should uh, we should review some of those old Star Wars movies leading up to the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, maybe sometime in April slash May. Do you think that sounds I, like a good idea? I would love that, Neil. I would absolutely love that. We'll go back and rewatch maybe the prequel series, and we'll uh, we'll do a review for everybody, and then we can talk about Kenobi as well as that uh, as that show airs. But Mike, a bit of a recent news here. Uh, just about a week or two ago, Atari acquired Moby Games, the uh, the video game database website that we actually use quite a bit for this show. They acquired Moby Games for one point five million dollars. Uh, this is what does this mean? What what does this mean indeed? <laughs> I, first of all, I did not know Atari had that much money on hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So for the listeners who don't know, Moby Games is basically like this video game database. It's it's completely made up by crowdsourcing. So all the information is put on by by the users, which is really cool. It's extremely accurate. I love it. I use it for the back of the case segments for a lot of our shows. I use it for some. Sometimes you'll find some fun facts. Uh, other other inf- interesting information like that. Uh, this site is 20 years old. So, Mike, I got to ask you, since you're a web developer, I think the code itself is actually more than 20 years old. Is that a bad thing? Yeah, it looks like it's 20 years old for mm. sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it could, it could use a nice little upgrade there. Yeah, not, not a great thing, but I mean, database stuff... 
uh, usually what happens is that someone creates this um, uh, database in you know, PHP is a, is a language uh, uh, that you'll use uh, for database creation and someone creates it yeah like 20 years ago and people just add to it rather than creating a whole new one because uh, it's one of those things that if you have so much stuff on there already like the the amount of work to create a whole new modern database and modern site with all that information it's it's a lot it's it's an it's an intern sitting there for 40 hours a week <laughs> copying and pasting basically office over. space basically there's going to be like an office space setup where they're just changing little bits of code here and there yeah, basically. Lovely. So I mean, yeah, I'm sure it'll get a little little reskin update, but uh, just I don't know. I, I I saw that in the news. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Atari itself is just a really interesting story. Uh, I know everyone associates Atari with just like you know the video games in the '80s, but Atari doesn't necessarily exist anymore. It's the name that keeps getting sold everywhere. Right. So the this iteration of Atari isn't like actually Atari. Mm. This is just a corporation that uses the name Atari. Uh, and I don't think it's the same Atari that has published a lot of games on the GameCube. That's a different Atari. It's so Very weird. confusing. It's so weird. I see the Atari every so often. I'll see like an Atari hoodie on somebody like our age or younger. And I kind of squint a little bit like, really? Like you're an Atari fan? Like I, I, I just find it hard to believe that there are that many Atari fans out there. Like There aren't. I see almost... <laughs> it's just cool. It's just a cool logo. It's Honestly, a cool, it is a nice it's a logo. Cool logo. It's a very retro logo. I get it. But it's like I see that logo more than I see xbox hoodies and i'm like there are way more xbox fans walking around out there than there are atari fans yeah but that's not like a good example of uh you know whether someone likes something you know i like a lot of things but i don't wear an intently i like nintendo i don't have a nintendo sweater that i wear everywhere you don't I should. <laughs> you, have Kirby, you have a lot of t-shirts, though. You got those Kirby yeah, t-shirts and yeah, that's uh, true, right? yeah, Mario yeah. t-shirts. I guess that, that's not Good quite point. the same thing. I do love the Atari logo. I think that this is going to be an okay thing. First of all, Moby Games is not like – it's not like that they acquired Discord or something crazy. Like it's it's a database site. Like it's not the end of the world and it's not Microsoft buying it or Tencent or something. So I'm sure it's in fine hands. Atari's not going to run this website into the ground. I'm sure it'll still be a fine database. I just hope that they keep those GameCube cases up on that website because I still need those for a few more months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need the, we need those for the rest of the year to talk about the rest of these games. Uh, but Neil, um, this month, this week, actually, The Godfather, one of the obviously the most celebrated films of all time, so celebrated its 50th anniversary, 50 years of The Godfather. Obviously, we were not alive when The Godfather came out, but no. we know about it mm-hmm. because of its cultural staying power. Yeah, I know a lot about The Godfather. It's referenced in a lot of things. It's referenced in Family Guy and Seinfeld, two shows that I grew up with a lot. Uh, fun fact, I've never seen it. That's okay. I, I honestly, I don't think a lot of people have. It just, it's one of those things that is just in popular culture now. Yeah. Like it's constantly referenced uh, Marlon, Marlon Brando's voice. God. Never turn your back on the family. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. I'll make you an offer again. You can't yeah, refuse. Again, so. cutting off a horse's head and everything. I know like yeah. all the references and all the scenes. I really, it's been on my list of movies to see. It is one of my, what do they call them? Like a cinema sin or something like a movie that how can you not have seen it? I feel like that that's got to be in my top five movies that I should probably see. Uh, now that's the first Godfather, right? What there's three Godfather movies. Is the second one considered like the greatest movie of all time, or is it like the first one? That's it. Always goes back and forth. They're always like side by side on top movie lists of all time. Okay. Uh, Godfather Part One is yeah, honestly a perfect movie, and it's a tough it's a tough spot to be in when you make something that's so good and you have to kind of follow it up with something that's equally good. You know, because what do you do? Do you just make the same movie again, mm. or do you just not necessarily movie, but just anything. Or do you make something completely different and just change the genre as a whole? And that's basically what Godfather Part 2 did a bit. And um, just to go back to video games, Last of Us Part 2 was directly influenced 
by Godfather Part Two. Uh, Neil Druckmann, the uh, mm-hmm. big guy at uh, at Naughty Dog, who who made uh, Last of Us Part Two, explicitly said, like, yeah, this is a lot of this is inspired by Godfather Part Two. And you uh, picked up on that, I think, when you were playing it, I did. And, I, and I didn't because I haven't seen the Godfather. I we but the thing is, we both loved Last of Us Part Two. Uh, and you loved it for the references to Godfather, and I was just like, this is just a fun post-apocalyptic game. Um, so I, I love that they could do that without it being too, uh, I guess, too over that, like, just without, no no pun intended, without beating a dead horse. Uh, they were <laughs> able to tie the two together. I'm sure that once I see Godfather 2, I'll completely get the references because... Well, it, it wasn't a reference necessarily. It was more just, like, inspired by it. It theme, was, like, right? the and, theme, the yeah. theme of it all. And yeah. even the way they do it at the end of The Last of Us, I don't want to spoil anything, but just the way that they structured it at the very end, is almost identical to the Godfather Part 2. I'm absolutely terrible at uh, noticing when a story is exactly the same as another story. Like, when when someone mentioned that, like, Avatar is Pocahontas, I was like, oh, wow, I did not, I would not have guessed that. Even down <laughs> to the, like, recently, like, Star Wars Episode Seven being the same as Episode Four. if no one ever told me that, would not have noticed. Really? I am, I am, dude, I am absolutely horrible at, like, <laughs> Like plot holes, people can point out plot holes to me that I don't notice. Like people will point out so many things about films, about like references to other movies, and I so unless it's very obvious, like I do not notice when like a like Lion King being Hamlet would not have figured that out on my own. I'm just stupid when it comes to these things. I just <laughs> oh, like movies. Okay. Movies are fun, you know. I like them and stuff. But uh, if I ever do point out something like that on my own, I need like a medal or something because that'll be a first if I'm ever the first person to point something like that out. I will make a trophy for you, Neil. Thank I will you. I will do that for you. I'll engrave your name in it. The Neil Gilbert Memorial Trophy. For... <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I want to get a memorial trophy before I die. Is that possible? I like to get like like a memorial room or something, you know, like a, like an <laughs> office. It's like the Mike Lane Memorial Room. <laughs> that you made? Yeah, yeah. The Mike Lane Memorial Conference Room. I like that. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be so many participation trophies for me. It'd be just sad. Yeah, no, I would I would absolutely love to to put together like a glass case at some point of of all of my accomplishment. All of my accomplishment. I would love I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, of course. And ladies and gentlemen, as you know, you can support our show on Patreon. We do have our monthly supporters there. You can support us at the one dollar or the five dollar uh, level. Uh, supporters at the five dollar or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic for the show. Uh, this week, we actually don't have an opening topic for the show, so we're just going to move right along to our next segment, which is the mailbag. But this week, we also don't have anything for our mailbag. So if you ever want to write a review, you can review one of our shows. You can send us a DM about how one of our episodes unlocked a cool memory, or you can correct something that we got wrong. Uh, I'm obviously not very bright since I couldn't figure out that episode seven is episode four. <laughs> so if you have anything that you wanted to say, feel free to send us a DM and we will read it on next week's show. This episode of the GameCube is Cool podcast is sponsored by Manscaped.com. For the last 20 years, I have wondered how Mario got so smooth for his role in Paper Mario and still managed to look so damn good looking. I have no doubt that he, like many other people, started using Manscaped products in order to get rid of unnecessary hair on their face and other areas too. I have been using the Lawnmower 4.0 for weeks now and have noticed a huge difference in my body hair removal routine, with blade guards to keep my sensitive areas safe and the little headlight on the handle for easy navigation in those dark spots, like I'm driving along Toad's Turnpike in Mario Kart 64. Manscaped has a fully loaded assortment of hardware and creams to keep me looking my best. Manscaped is also here to equip our listeners with body wash, shampoo, 
body spray, and foot deodorant, which are all great smelling products for our lady listeners out there too. We have heard firsthand from several of our listeners now that the boxers are literally the softest pair of underwear they have ever felt. Level up from the store-bought barred soaps and the deodorants you've been using since 8th grade and head on over to manscaped.com using our promo code GAMECUBE at checkout to save 20% on your order. That's promo code G-A-M-E-C-U-B-E at checkout to save 20% on your order, plus free shipping. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, and uh, feel free to watch The Godfather because it's the 50th anniversary if you have a way to watch it. It's uh, it's on a lot of streaming services, so check it yeah. out. Godfather, of course, um, one of the best movies ever made, and they were able to make a sequel that was just as good, if not better. And Neil, that's exactly what this franchise did that we're going to talk about today. Oh, that's a very good segue, Mike. That's a great segue into episode 90, part one of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 410 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Goombella. Oh, nice. Goombella is good with a uh, good with coding, is she? Oh yeah, yeah. She is. She's she's a a landmark coder in the in two thousand four. <laughs> she knows Python very well. That's good. Nice. Hey, you know Python. There you go. You, you know a coding program. <laughs> I I know I know I know the words. I know the uh, I, know I know the things. lingo. <laughs> <laughs> There's another trophy for you. <laughs> oh right, right on. My 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 case is growing, ever ever expanding. Last week we talked about all the PGA games and a few other golf games on the GameCube to celebrate spring. I also realized way later that we uh, we actually put that episode out on St. Patrick's Day, which is probably a better reason to do golf uh (laughs) this week we're covering one of the greatest mario games one of the greatest rpgs and frankly one of the greatest gamecube and video games in general of all time paper mario and the thousand year door that's right neil this is one of my favorite games of all time it's a very uh, near and dear to my heart and uh, i i got it when it came out i think i got this like almost immediately uh, really weird that I did, but before we go into Paper Mario, the game, I'd like to talk a little bit about the series with you, Neil. Sure. Now, that sounds really good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you got this game at launch because I didn't give this franchise a chance until I think it was 2016 was the first time that I, I played it. And I jumped in on a game that most people do not like, the Paper Mario fans. I jumped in on Super Paper Mario on the Wii which is mm-hmm. a really good game, I think, uh, having not known anything about the series prior to, not knowing that Thousand Year Door was a, a classic. I knew that Thousand Year Door was expensive and that Super Paper Mario was $13 at the time, so I was like, well, I'll just try this one. Uh, but falling in love with it right away, just loving the characters, loving the gameplay, the art style, the dialogue, just all of it. The battle system in, in the Wii game is fine. Like It's not a turn-based RPG like the, uh, the, the original two games, but... Just going from Wii to GameCube to N64 was just so much fun, and and I got so much enjoyment out of these games, and I'm really excited to talk about them today. Uh, what, what was your first uh, What was your first impression of the, the series, Mike, when you jumped in on it? I honestly, I didn't love it at first. I I had seen Paper Mario before as well. Uh, for the N64, I of mm-hmm. course famously hate the N64. Sure, no, that's fine. And every and everything to do with it. Uh, but I, I I did have friends who had N64s, and I think I don't. Yeah, you didn't have Paper Mario, but uh, a friend of mine did. 
uh, and he played it and he was showing it to me and it didn't really do anything for me. I, you know, I was probably seven or eight years old at this point, so I didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, I was really just into kind of games that you just smash stuff and then move on. Yeah. You know, like Smash Bros was <laughs> was what I liked at that time. And that's really all I liked in licensed games. So Paper Mario, the N64 Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door didn't do a lot for me. Even owning Thousand Year Door, I didn't get into it as much until maybe a year or two later. Then I kind of started to understand it more. And, I, and the history of Paper Mario is interesting because you can kind of tie it back to another game I played a long time ago that I didn't get into as much was Super Mario RPG on the, the 64 in 1996. Yeah, it's a, it's a direct successor too. And they were actually going to make Super Mario RPG 2. That was the running title really for the mm-hmm. first little bit. Uh, by Intelligent Systems, the game that they were going to make was going to be basically like a a direct sequel to the SNES, the 1996 game by Square, uh, who would have made Super Mario RPG 2 had they not split their connection with Nintendo uh, in the N64 era. When PlayStation went to discs and N64 stayed with cartridges, Square and Enix moved a lot of their, uh, their development for Final Fantasy and all of their other franchises to the PlayStation, and Nintendo was kind of left, you know, wondering, okay, well, what are we going to do now? We have, we have, you know, we need to make some RPGs. So they called on the company that was making their Fire Emblem series, which was very mm-hmm. popular in Japan. They said, hey, all right, you guys, let, why don't you guys make this, uh, this a Mario RPG, a successor to the Mario RPG on the SNES. And they took the, the 3D rendered graphics that the SNES was trying to do and decided that, they knew really, Mike. They knew what you knew back in the day was that this is kind of ugly. Uh, these yeah. graphics are not good. This 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 three D Mario on this N sixty four does not look great. Let's flatten it. Let's make this like a two D game, like the classic Mario games, and and give it like an art style, like a two D art style. And that's how Paper Mario was born. Uh, the earlier games aren't really so much paper aesthetic. It's more like flat Mario. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what I what I associate those earlier games with. Also because they don't make nearly as many paper jokes, which helps you kind of separate it from being a paper uh, aesthetic. But uh, after four years of development, Paper Mario was released in the year two thousand on the N sixty four. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a classic really. You can go back to it today and play it just fine on the N64 or on the virtual console because it is basically, I was thinking about this just now. It basically is N64's only 2D game. It's not like a 3D Mario or a 3D Zelda. It's, it it does have some 3D, some depth and everything, but everything in the game is flat. And so it, because of that ages very well. That's actually very true, Neil. I never thought about that, but you're, you're absolutely right because that was the peak of attempting 3d polygonal graphics yep right and i say attempting you know (laughs) because there were a lot of misses and of course at the time you know you have to give these developers credit they they did look great for the time and they were very inventive and and completely unique you know think of think of goldeneye we rag on goldeneye a lot (laughs) because we think nightfire is better uh just because that's the the unpopular opinion in the world but honestly goldeneye for the time was you know absolutely groundbreaking even graphics like at the time were were groundbreaking but um uh to 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 put out yeah a paper a a flat game in 2000 Mm -hmm. like paper mario huge risk and just a a massive development undertaking to to you know go from super mario rpg to paper mario so huge huge shout out to intelligent systems for doing this you know unthinkable task that was kind of just handed to them at the last minute because Square would have gone in 97, 98. They would have left uh, and made Final Fantasy VII. Right. And then kept going, of course, and severed their ties with the Nintendo only to come back, crawling back <laughs> with Crystal Chronicles, which is uh, a whole interesting story that you can hear on our Crystal Chronicles episode. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, Intelligent Systems were able to somehow take this idea that Square had had done with uh, RPG and, I, in my opinion, make it even better uh, with Paper Mario in 2000. They're very similar games. I've played Super Mario RPG on the SNES Classic. I really like it, actually. I think if you're a fan of the earlier Paper Mario games, you have to play the Mario RPG. Like it, yes. it, You can definitely see the influences, and it if you're used to that gameplay, you'll be just fine. Uh, it is a little bit different. There's not like the, the battle system is is different, and obviously the paper aesthetic is gone. I just feel so bad for these first two Paper Mario games that are classics in their own right. They're all reviewed so well, but they were just released at miss. They were just missed opportune times that they were there, that that they were released at. Like Paper Mario was released in the year 2000, where the N64 was really dying at that point. Like the PS2 was coming out, the GameCube had been announced. It was it was on the way in the next year or so. So Paper Mario was released in 2000, sold 1.3 million units, ranks a 93% on Metacritic. Like a 93 selling 1.3 million units is yeah. pretty rough. Thousand Year Door was released four years later on the GameCube, a console that wasn't really getting great press. It was getting hammered by the PlayStation 2, sold 1.9 million units, ranks 87%. Super Paper Mario was released in 2007 on the Wii, where it sold best with 4.3 million units, ranked a little bit lower with 85%. And then we start getting into the dark era of this franchise, where we get Sticker Star in 2012 on the 3DS. That one is one of the worst reviewed games in the series at 75%. We got Color Splash in 2016. Mike, that game sold less than a million units on Wii U. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no surprise there. And I have even f- funnier stats for you, Neil. Yeah. Uh, or just more, maybe even more interesting uh, is first week sales stats. I found this like a long time ago and I just saved it in this. Uh, we have, when we created, we do our podcast, we have documents for all these episodes, of course. And I saved it in this document because I knew I wanted to talk about <laughs> it. And here we are finally, so I can finally uh, talk about it. So they they listed. Uh, the first week sales, you know, in, in order of best-selling to worst-selling here, mm-hmm. uh, Super Paper Mario on the Wii was 156000 on the first week that it sold. Okay. And right right after that, 1000 Year Door, 137000 Wow. Uh, so it was, you know, keeping pace for sure in 2004 there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sticker Star sold 130000 almost identical to 1000 Year Door in the first week. Uh, Origami King actually sold less than all these, 109000 only in the first week. And then Color Splash with a solid 28,000 oh in the first gosh. week. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's almost unthinkable. Like a Mario game selling that low in 2016. Now, 2016 was a really dark time to be a Nintendo fan. Uh, yeah. Being a Wii U owner, I remember it very well. I was playing, I was playing, I played a lot of Splatoon that year. I'll give it that. That's um, good. But yeah, I mean, Origami King unfortunately came out in 2020, which was. I mean, there was a bit of a global pandemic going on in that time, so I guess I can understand sales being low. Also, tracking digital sales, I don't know if Nintendo don't track their digital sales very well, so it might not include that. That's true. Um, but, yeah. but to date, that game has sold 3.12 uh, million units, uh, so it's doing pretty well. It's the second best-selling uh, Paper Mario game. I don't think it's going to catch up with Super Paper Mario on the uh, on the Wii. Uh, mm-hmm. It rates pretty well. It's got an 80%. So it, it's it's good. It's not as good as uh, Thousand Year Door or the original. But all in all, Mike, we have six mainline Paper Mario games plus one spinoff. And the series as a whole has sold a collective 12.5 million units, which is not spectacular. I kind of lumped this one in with the Donkey Kongs and the Metroids and the, the Kirby's. Like kind of just the lower, like the mid-tier, the B-tier, I guess you will, of the Nintendo franchises. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know what's funny too, Neil? I just thought of this. Okay. I actually <laughs> didn't put this down, but uh, I remembered it. I, you got a little deja vu uh, a memory unlock for me. Thank you very much. Uh, Thousand Year Door, when I was a kid... 
I I did not know the name of it was Thousand Year Door because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was Thousand Tear Door because like paper. Thousand Tear Door. How did you... like? There's a thousand tears in the door. What the hell does that even mean? How did you get that from that this title? I don't know. Ta- well, T T and Y. They're similar letters. Oh, they're almost the same. Okay. And I remember like looking at the case. Uh, for some reason, ten-year-old me was like thousand tear door. I, I get it. I get it. I get like it. paper, paper tears. <laughs> you know, paper puns. Mm. Yeah, see, that, that's the thing is that they never really used paper puns up until like Sticker Star, the downfall of the series. Yeah. They should have just kept it at this, you know, Lord of the Rings style, like Star Wars naming, where it's like a, it's just a good subtitle. You know, it's a good subtitle. It, is it a good has subtitle. nothing to do with paper. It, it, it makes you question, like, okay, this is going to be a really cool story with a thousand years of history, and it's not a it's not a paper pun. So yeah, I, I can see why you think the thousand tear door. I just I can't unsee a why uh, where year is. That's my only hangup. With I don't that. know what's wrong with, with me. No, with yeah. that logic, that's my only hangup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten-year-old Mike wasn't the brightest uh, nah. tool in the shed. You knew Python in, in, in two thousand five, so you, you were doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, sure. But we do have a bunch of callers to join us today, Mike, to talk about their memories around the franchise. So, uh, so why don't we let them on? But before we do, let's read the stats for Paper Mario: The Thousand-Year Door, and then we'll get into the episode. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door was released on October 11th, 2004. It was developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo. This is a GameCube exclusive. You can't play it anywhere else ex- unless you emulate it, of course. Uh, it rates an 8 out of 10, priced today at around at least $140. That's like the starting point. Uh, you can see it go as high as over $200 depending on the condition, if it's sealed. So this mm-hmm. is a very pricey game. Of course, this is an RPG, one of the very few on the N64 and on the GameCube, so it stands out as being the best RPG on all of those consoles, really. Uh, this is the 12th best-selling GameCube game, Mike, right behind Mario Party 7 and just ahead of Star Fox Adventures, like I said before, selling 1.9 million units. Uh, so, all in all, it's a really good game, rates really well, price today very high, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yep, me too, Neil, me too. Alright, so let's bring on the first caller of the day. All right, Neil, and joining us today is friend of the show, Kira Tooney Twirls on Instagram, a great Instagram page. Uh, I know she's been playing a lot of uh, very good games recently, and one game that I know she has played at, at some point is Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, which we're going to be talking about today. And our first question to you, Kira, would be, is this your first entry into the Paper Mario series? Yeah, I was really young when I first played this, and it was one of those games that just defined my childhood. And... Going into the future games in the series, it, it, it never quite hit the same sort of highs, mm, you know? Definitely. That's something that will be a theme on today's episode, for sure, <laughs> is that this kind of was the, the peak of, of Mario Party uh, Mario Mario Party lore, so to speak. Paper Mario. Why do you keep saying Mario <laughs> Party? What's wrong with me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's broken. <laughs> I've had other people doing that all week as well. Like, are you going on the uh, the Mario Party episode? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yes, because my brain is broken. Paper Mario, Neil, y- you take it away. Uh, what questions do you do you have for Kira coming on today? Sure. So I, obviously, the Thousand Year Door is like the peak of all the Mario Party games. Jesus, I just did it too. <laughs> <laughs> Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door is the peak of all the Paper Mario games. But did you ever go back and play? either the first one on N64 or the later ones after the GameCube game? Um, I've played a little bit of the N64 one, but I've been meaning to go back and play it properly. Mm. But from what I've seen, it looks very promising. And I have played um, some of the later ones. I really, I, I did actually quite like Super Paper Mario on the Wii. Yeah. But after that was Sticker Star on the 3DS. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a rough one. See, my first uh, outing in the series was uh, Paper Mario 
the Super Paper Mario on the Wii because uh, I got it from EB Games here in Canada uh, back in 2016, I think it was. I was really late to the series, and it was like 13 bucks because they were clearing out their Wii stock at that point. Uh, so I got that game really cheap, and I played it to death. Like, I love Super Paper Mario. I really don't know what everyone's issue is with it, and I get it now because you play Paper Mario on N64, which is this really, you know, fairly deep RPG on a console that had, like, three RPGs, and then you have Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, which is which improves on the N64 game in every sense of the word, pretty much, and then you have this Super Paper Mario game, which did change a lot. It made it, it wasn't like a turn-based game. It was more of, like, an action platformer. It still had some RPG elements to it, but if, if it's your first game, like, I have this, I have the perspective of this is my first paper mario game so i actually really love the wii game uh and then like you like you said i eventually did you know tr- i want to go try the 3ds one the sticker star game and yeah that game's rough <laughs> like three hours in i was like I, I can't do this and then the wii u one which we've talked about before it, it's just it's not it's not very good either and then the switch one which we sh- which came out uh two years ago now i think origami king uh looks great and is fun to play i i do want to go and play that game from start to finish i just haven't gotten around to it yet but that's the thing about the Paper Mario series is that it's had such up and downs that we don't typically see in a lot of other Mario franchises. It doesn't really have much of our identity in the series anymore. Like, it's it's not really an RPG, but it's what it started out as, so I don't really know what where it's going to go in the future. No, exactly. That's the thing. Like, as the series progresses, they always say that they never want to do the same thing twice, but <laughs> all the Nintendo fans out there are like, but can you just do <laughs> Thousand Year Door twice, please? <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned yeah. that you played this when you were very young, uh, but why Paper Mario? Like, who... I know you mentioned way back uh, when on the Resident Evil 4 episode that your dad was really into games. Was he the one who got this for you and thought that this would be a good game for you? Yeah, he was. So, um, again, since I was quite young, he had to um, read out a lot of the writing to me so I could actually unfollow the story and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, very cool. So we played the first few chapters together, but then when I got, mm. once I was a little bit older, I came back to it myself and played it all the way through. That's a lot of reading. This game is extremely verbose uh, because that was my first. That was my first experience with it. Was I borrowed it from friend of the show Matt? He lent it to me, and I like. I was like, dude, like the first hour of this game is just reading and tutorials. Like it takes takes a little bit to get into it, but eventually the dialogue in the game. I, I can't imagine liking this game as much if you don't read all of the conversations. Was that something that stood out to you? Was like the character interactions? Yeah, well, it's hard to remember all the way back then, but um, sure. speaking now. <laughs> Um, the characters are one of my favorite things about the game, mm-hmm. especially the partners in particular all have such fun personalities. Mm-hmm. That's my thing about like the new games too, is like, I want to hate them, or at least I, I don't like them very much, but the dialogue is still so sharp. Like you, I played the opening hour or so of Origami King when I borrowed it from Dan, and I was just laughing still at the dialogue. Like the, the characters, you can see them talking in the background about certain things. They're making comments about yeah. Mario or about what's going on and like the absurdity of the origami world and whatnot, but it still was the the same in the N64 and the Thousand Year Door. Just like I wanted to read every conversation to know what's going on. Like everyone making fun of the the mustached man and and like Bowser was like <laughs> Bowser's not like the big enemy in this game, which is kind of like degrading to him. It's almost like he's being like demoralized because <laughs> yeah. he's not like the big bad guy. There's like someone else in this game now that's even worse than him. So he feels like he's kind of lost like his masculinity or something it's just really funny the way it's written and everything and it's it's like even the emails and the texting that they do back and forth it's all just so brilliant yeah i think bowser actually works better when he's like the side villain sort of thing i think yeah because they have more fun with his personality and that sort of thing where he doesn't just have to be the big bad you know yeah i, I found that in even like mario odyssey 
they did a pretty good job with that. Like even, I mean, you get to play as Bowser too in that at some point. And like the interactions between Bowser and Mario, especially when you're on the moon, like that was really cool. And that brought me back to Paper Mario in that sense of, of making mm-hmm. him this, well, yeah, giving him an actual personality instead of this just random massive dragon guy Koopa thing <laughs> who's just trying to kill you all the time. Yeah, it's like even though he's appeared in so many games across the years, I still feel like they haven't explored him as much as they could. You know? No. No, like, is is there any kind of, like, actually Bowser standalone game? Like, does that exist? No. Not that I... No. I think Bowser's Inside Story is the closest mm. it would be, but that's still about Mario and Luigi. It's still a Mario and Luigi game. That one is the closest thing that we've ever got, because it, Mario and Luigi series are very heavily influenced by the Paper Mario yeah. series. Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, it is the game where you play the most as Bowser uh, compared to Bowser's Inside Story. Um, same thing with Peach too, which is funny because after this game, not long after that, they did release a game on DS. I think it's called Super Princess Peach. Oh yeah, I played that. Yeah, I played it too. It's a, it's a 2D platformer completely played uh, as Peach, which is really similar to like in Thousand Year Door, you play as Peach, except for now it's her full adventure. We never got that Bowser game, which that'd be a really neat thing to explore on Switch. I think they could definitely do that. Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer at this point. Yeah, exactly. They've done everything else. <laughs> I mean, you might as well bring that back in some way. If they've done arms. They can do a Bowser game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In terms of you know getting it when you were young, I also got it when I was young too. I I, I got it when it came out actually, and I still have that copy. Uh, and of course, Neil mentioned mm-hmm. early in the episode that this uh, copy goes for one hundred and fifty dollars today, which is just insane. Yep. And uh, thankfully, I was able to hold on to this copy and, and play it. But my parents. I, I don't know what they saw in that because, you know, they they had bought me just the Mario Karts or licensed games. And that was really all I had. And even looking at my collection the other day of games that I had when I was a kid, Paper Mario really stands out to me as a, just a game that wasn't really for like a 10 year old. Like I uh, I had not played an RPG. I don't think ever. I think this other than Pokemons, but I'm not counting that. I never played something like this before. And I remember not really enjoying it that much at first and it took me a while to like actually understand what this game kind of was i know you played it obviously a long time ago but have you played it since kira uh yeah i um i think i replayed it at the start of um lockdown that sort of thing so that was my last that's my most recent playthrough so i come back to it every now and then nice nice and what's like if you if you had to pick one thing and now that you played it as as an adult, if you had to pick one thing that separates this from really any other RPG or or Mario game, honestly, uh, what would it be? It's just it's 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 very different and very creative. It's not afraid to try new things. Yeah, it's for for me at least. Uh, I think it just it's the GameCube generation as a whole. Just the risk taking of it. It's completely yeah. like you said. It's completely different from anything else that was out at the time. Even different than like the N sixty four Paper Mario. The setting, for example, is just a great place to start here. You you start off, you know, in a pretty classic uh, castle, Green Hill. You go to the castle. It's like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, you're in just like this shanty town almost. It's just like robbers and, and, and all this kind of stuff going on that is like almost dark. And uh, and yeah, like you said, Neil, the dialogue just takes that turn. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, this, is, this seems like an adult game now at this point. Like, this does not seem like a Mario goes to rescue the princess kind of game. It's just a noose in the middle of the town at first. <laughs> I just think that's very important to note. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like it's literally very dark in terms of like, I think the color in, in Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door is a little darker than future Paper Mario games. They do get very bright uh, and like just colorful in general. But this game tonally is extremely dark. Kira just said it like there is straight up a place where they hang people. 
Yeah. Like there's a noose in the middle of the town square, which is like you would never see anything like that in a Nintendo game going forward. I don't even know how it got through in the 2000s as much as Nintendo was trying to appeal to an older audience. Like public execution was not one of their (laughs) – was not something that they were like – you know, flaunting or anything. So it's really funny. One thing that I'd like to see them come back to is having uh, like partners and like a team that you fight with and that you travel around the world with. Yes. Uh, Kira, did you have a favorite like partner to uh, to use and to level up with in the game? My favorite was the baby Yoshi. He got to name yourself. I think that's just a really Me cute too. touch. Yeah. But I like yeah. Vivian as well. I-, I like this little story that she had with her sisters. She mm. was picked on, you know, but she had like the confidence to leave them eventually and team up with Mario. I thought that was very sweet. Yeah, they all had like little backstories, which made them really interesting. They weren't just like these faceless characters, which later Paper Mario games eventually kind of do. Like every character in future Paper Mario games are all toads, basically. Like they're not different (laughs) species of ghosts and Goombas and baby Yoshis and like like retired Babombs. Like they all have (laughs) like these histories and they're all, some are young, some are old, like some have like a crush on Mario, some hate Mario. Like, like I called my little Yoshi Broshi just because like, he's like this little feisty Yoshi with like a mohawk <laughs> yeah. or something. And he's like, he's a scrappy little fighting guy. I like that one. Yeah, that was the, I don't even know what his name is actually supposed to be. Cause like you said, you get to nickname him yeah. like a Pokemon or something. And I just called him Broshi. So like forever, whenever I see this case, that's, that's what I call him. Cause that's what he looked like. But yeah, the, the, the partners are so cool in this game and just all the characters in the, the towns as well. Like they all have their own little jobs and uh, relationships with each other. I really love how dynamic the game is. Yeah, the world just feels so alive. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel limited by like, you know, this is a Mario game. I've got to keep things like PG or whatever. It's just, it's it's its own thing. It's just so unabashedly yeah. itself. I love it. That's a mm-hmm. great word, limited. There is, yeah, it does not feel limited at all, which you're absolutely right. Like most Mario games are limited by the audience that they're targeting, for sure, which is just mm-hmm. the fact of like, that. there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But it is really cool to see it just take on this completely different tone one thing i want to mention is just like the visuals of course because we have to talk about the visuals we'll be talking about it all episode but um one thing in particular is how the visuals were kind of presented to you the way that this like almost cinematography you can call it works is just brilliant there's all these lamp posts and stuff in front of you or trees that are going by as you're walking so you're in this 2d environment that makes it feel so much more alive and so much more 3d and it always reminds me of like a like a little diorama that you're walking Mm -hmm. through and and that's what really captured me as a kid because it felt like i could have created this world you know and uh yoshi's crafted world which is you know a switch game that came out quite i guess 15 years later basically kind of emulated Paper Mario in a lot of ways in the sense of that they made it a 2D game, but that, you know, they added this 3D element into it. And of course, Super Paper Mario adds the full 3D with the the, the flick of your the Wii remote or whatever that, that was, right, Neil? You could also go into 2D, switch to like a, a 3D mode as well. I don't really remember how that game works exactly. I just, I just remember, remember you being... flick the remote. Like, like that's, that's all you do. Yeah, because you can like, you can switch the plane basically that you're on. If you press like the A button, you would like flip to like 3D, so it was all sideways. That's right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, exactly. It would make like a bit of depth into the screen, or you could switch to a complete 2D screen. It was cool. Like it was fun, but it was it was still in this. I, I consider like the first three Paper Mario games to be more like flat Mario, if you will, and then the one from Sticker Star onto uh, Color Splash, and then Origami King to be that craft aesthetic where everything does feel like it's literally made from cardboard and fluff and paper. Uh, because like you see yeah. the worlds now and it does look like a kid made a di- diorama in their room out of these things to make this Mario game. Yeah, it's like two on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's being very literal. 
Yeah. Exactly. Like when I play Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, I really don't think any of this looks like paper. Exactly. Not that the GameCube could probably (laughs) render those textures, really. They've come a long way with that. But I think Nintendo likes to make games that look like crafts. Like they made that clay-mated Kirby game on the Wii U. And then, yeah, the Yoshi's Woolly World and Crafted World. They seem to really like the aesthetic of arts and crafts in video games, which I like it too. But uh, I I do miss the the kind of faded look of, of flat Paper Mario from the 2000s. It's more like um, the storybook style as opposed to just a, a made-from-craft sort of world. I think that's how someone mm-hmm. else described it. Exactly. exactly. That, that's actually a really good way to describe it, yeah. And it's pretty, like, that's that's why I'm kind of talking about the cinemato- cinematography here, because they are able to add depth into a storybook almost. Because mm-hmm. uh, like, that's something that you really didn't need to do. Like, uh, you could have just created this game on a 2D plane and have it be almost like a side-scroller and just go through, and people would have been like, okay, this is a fun game. And that's basically why... Um, the Paper Mario N64 is. And then when we have Thousand Year Door, they they really just put so much love and care into creating this world. Like, everything looks like a painting, like a storybook, like you said, Kira. Yeah, exactly. And then the whole world is broken up into eight chapters. Um, For me, the one that stood out the most was, uh, it was chapter six, Three Days of Excess. And that that's the one where there's like this mystery kind of novel thing happening on the train. It's like a whole murder mystery. It's it's a really clever section. It's kind of like Murder on the Orient Express, but with Mario and characters. And there's like a detective and everything. That That's the one that really stands out to me. Uh, Kira, did you have a favorite chapter in the game or like a favorite world? Well, chapter six is also pretty high for me, but I think chapter three would be my favorite, where Mario becomes a wrestler. That's how I describe it, with yes. a hammer, for some reason. Yep, <laughs> yep, that, that's where Broshi comes from too, right? That's yes. when he collects the baby Yoshi. Yeah, that's a good one. He's like in a little fight club kind of thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a random, cute idea, I love it. Yeah. Is that the one there's, um like the terminal is like a Game Boy Advance, I think. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, and I, I love, I'm a huge fan of Nintendo putting Nintendo peripherals into uh, into games. I, I always like that, like how in, I think it's in the new Pokemon games, like you, your character has a Switch in their bedroom. Uh, yeah. I, I love stuff like that. But, Luigi's yeah. Mansion, he has the Game Boy Horror. That's what pops That's the one I was going to say. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. it looks like. Game Boy Color, but it's the Game Boy Horror. And they use the Virtual Boy, too, as, like, the the ghost-sucking thing or whatever. Yeah, clever bits like that are really, really good. But, yeah, that's a really good one. Of the Chapter 3 of Glitz and Glory, that's Mm. the name of that chapter. Uh, That's a really good one, but... There's some amazing like levels in this game. Like there's some that take place at night where everything is kind of lit up, like you're in a glow in the dark mini putt course or something, like we talked about last week, where everything is like the purples and blues are all so bright and the shadows are all very exaggerated and there's bats and ghosts and everything. And then you go into the the light the light side and you're you know on the ocean and everything. Like it's just such a cool game. Like you go from world to world and it's not the stereotypical Mario game where you go from a forest level to a desert level to an underwater level to the volcano level. Like it's like like. I said before everything has towns and everything just feels like it all just makes sense this yeah this world mm-hmm. that they made and then they tied it all together with of course the thousand year door which is like underneath the town the entire time it's like the end of the game is right there in front of you uh you just have to find all the stars to unlock it so clever yeah i don't think there's a single part of the game that i dislike really i i think every, no. every um chapter every area is special in its own way yeah, yeah. I don't think there's. I mean, I have small negatives, but honestly, mm-hmm. there's there's not a lot to fix in this game. It's uh, it's pretty perfect, which is one of the reasons why it's hard to kind of make a sequel to this. It's hard to to mm-hmm. create another thousand year door. For me, something that was hard actually is just the the play time. Like I had never played a game that was probably more than ten hours at this point in my life. Right <laughs> when I played this in two thousand four. So, and this is 
uh, 20, 25 hours at least to play this through. Like it's at least. it's a long game. Uh, mm-hmm. like for a Mario game, this is an eternity. <laughs> yeah, I don't play a lot of long games usually. Like they just do not hold my attention span normally. I think it's this and Zelda and Zelda games are the only exceptions to this. It's a really good game to play during a pandemic, for sure, when you have a lot of free time. Yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, when you have a school or a job or, or other life things, it definitely is like a bit of a pain. I didn't really mind the, the playtime of the game because I knew what I was getting myself into. This was my second Paper Mario game that I played. The only issue that I had with time of the game for me, this is like really specific, but the very last boss, if you die against the very last boss fight, you have to go back to the very beginning of the cutscene and everything where like the world is kind of being shadowed by this, you know, the spirit has been unleashed from the door and everything. And it's the final fight. And the boss fight itself takes about 20. It took me, I think, 20 minutes to half an hour to beat this final boss because it's just so long and you have to use all of your badges and all of your items. But then if you get near to the end and then you die, you have to go back again and watch this entire cutscene. Like if you watch it on, watch a Let's Play on YouTube, it takes about a half an hour to get to the start of the cutscene to the end of the boss fight. So that was really like the hardest, mm-hmm. kind of almost like it, it disrespected the player's time, really. That was one of the bigger negatives. It's the final boss fight in an RPG. Maybe that's normal. At the end of the day, this Mario game was based on a an RPG made by uh, Square back in the 90s. So they are taking a lot of hints from the Dragon Quests and the Final Fantasies, but still... I would prefer that they let me skip those damn cutscenes. Yeah, I can name a few Nintendo games that also have the same exact problem because they don't let you skip yeah. the cutscenes. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, even when you were on last year, Chibi Robo, uh, mm. just like skipping the dialogue, like yes. is, there's took, it takes a long time to get through. And this was at least you could go a little faster than Chibi Robo, <laughs> but still, like the dialogue takes up a lot of time because there is a lot of dialogue and it's important to read. Like it's not really a lot of it isn't that skippable. No, it's not, and you have to you have to read everything. Like, there's no voice acting or anything. You're on your own, basically. Thank God, to, uh, I did not <laughs> want voice acting in this. Yeah. That would ruin this game. They, they do not need it. No, 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 not at all. My Mario Sunshine level voice acting. Ooh, oh yeah. No. <laughs> please, please, God, no. It's quite funny in that game, but for a more serious RPG, it's no. Yeah, no, it's it's better to be better to read it. I don't think that the comedy would work as well if you gave it to like subpar voice acting because like yeah, exactly. just the characters' expressions and the dialogue itself and the punctuation like it would not work if the voice acting was flat or dry or any of the above. But it's been about twenty years now since Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door came out, and to this day, the only way to play it is if you buy a disc for one hundred and fifty dollars and a GameCube and play it at home. Kira, do you ever think that we'll see this game on like the Switch eShop, or do you think Nintendo will ever remaster it or remake it? I'm not sure. I think they want to shift the focus away from it onto like um, their new Paper Mario games, like Origami King, you know? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to be optimistic, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's probably where we're at with that one, too. Uh, because, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's Nintendo's way to try and shift... You know, shift the focus to whatever the new game out, uh, new game there is in that series. It's just a, it's just a real shame that that you can't digitally play Paper Mario Thousand Year Door anywhere. And it's one mm-hmm. of the best games ever made, in my opinion. And the fact mm-hmm. that you can't play it digitally is an embarrassment to Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah, I've had people say like when, when I talk about the game on my Instagram, they're like, I really want to play it, but I just I can't afford it. And yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. What can you do? And that's a game too that like I, I'll, I'll emulate certain games that we we talk about on here because you know I'm not going to spend two hundred fifty dollars on Lost Kingdoms, you know, no. to to play that game. Uh, but but I w- something like Paper and Mario. That's a game that I would actually like. To, well, I can play it, but I w- if I were someone else, I would like to actually play that physically and have the physical copy of it, or just you know be able to play it on my Switch would be even better. 
They just put the entire GameCube library on the Switch, and then we can all die happy. Oh, then we Thanks. won't even need this podcast anymore. We're completely no. good. <laughs> we'll shut it down, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, we'll be out of business. But the series itself, I don't know if it's like financially feasible to go out and re- like remake everything. It's not like Zelda, where they they're probably going to remake you know all these games again in a few years, and we'll be buying Wind Waker you know HD 4K in a couple of years, which I will be buying that one. Yeah, well, I, I need no encouragement. Yeah, I, I we will. <laughs> I'll be first in line. We will be here buying it. Yeah. Wind Waker on every console, all for it. But like as a as a t- as a whole, the Paper Mario series, you know, six mainline games has sold 12.5 million copies, which is not great. Like it, it's in the air, it's in the range of being like a Star Fox or a Metroid level of sales, which is low, unfortunately. The best-selling one is the one on Wii, by the way, with 4.3 million copies. Mm-hmm. Origami King did really well with 3.12 million copies, but the Thousand Year Door is one of the lower ones, less than two million copies sold. Even though it is the fan favorite, it sold pretty poorly on GameCube. Well, poorly. I mean, it, it's just below 10% of an attach rate, which is fairly decent i suppose based on that i can get why they moved away from the rpg formula even if that's not what the fans wanted but at the same time that's clearly what sells more because it's it, it just gets in more audiences that sort of thing so yeah exactly yeah. it's a tricky but one. they added they added things to the series though that like aren't fan like aren't fan friendly like stickers for moves and mm-hmm. you know the paint the paint mechanic and, and color splash but that's a little off topic and we, we can talk <laughs> we can talk about that another day for sure but uh yeah it's too bad that they don't go back to their roots but we'll be waiting here with our, we have our copies of Paper Mario Thousand Year Doors, so we're fine. But the people out there, I wish that there was a way that they could play it. Yeah, one day, one yeah. day. Kira, do you have anything else you'd like to say about this wonderful game before we let you go for the day? I think I think we've covered everything. Um, Actually, one thing I think we should mention is how good the soundtrack is. Yes. 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 Because it was, it was the first thing I wrote down when I was like brainstorming ideas for what I want to talk about. And I was like, the soundtrack, I listened to it so much growing up. It was like on constantly. Mm-hmm. What about the soundtrack specifically for you? Like really makes this this so unique. I, it, well, I can't put it in words. It's just, it's like, it's one of these things that like, it's been inherently one of those things that has been, that I've enjoyed all my life. So it's hard to like describe why it means so much to me. That's very fair. Yeah. No, it is. It is incredible. And it's not, it's not repetitive, which other Mario games have an issue being, especially in, in not the GameCube generation, but when I think of Mario Party games, like those, that music in those games does not really stand out to me. And and this could have been just as much of a throwaway. Um, but when, when you've got a, a studio making a game where the, the intelligent games, they made the Fire Emblem series, which are all beautifully orchestrated soundtracks. That's really the only thing that I could have think I could have thought of to make the Thousand Year Door soundtrack better would have been if this was like a fully orchestrated soundtrack. That would have been really cool to make it really like kind of a storybook, like a fantastical adventure. Um, it is... It sounds a bit more of like a digital soundtrack, unfortunately. If they released like a Paper Mario Thousand Year Door orchestrated, like a symphony kind of thing, that'd be such a cool thing for Nintendo to do. Like what they've done with Zelda and Pokemon and Final Fantasy and all those games. Yeah, even in like this, the Super Mario Party, uh, or what is it? The new Mario Party Superstars. Yeah. Uh, you can actually change between hearing the original N64 version of the songs oh, wow. on the boards and then the newly like recorded versions of the songs. And that would mm-hmm. be really cool for like, I've remastered Paper uh, Mario Thousand Year Door, if that ever happened, is like be able to like have a new recording of it, but also go back to the old ones too. Yeah, yeah I stick with the old recording. That's what I'm like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the nostalgia of it is you're you're absolutely right. Like as soon as I booted it up this week, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I remember this. This is, it is very unique to the, like the Mario world. Because like you said, Neil, a lot of these Mario games are just kind of background music. Not that it's yeah. bad music. That's fine. But it's it's it doesn't really go with the uh, the story necessarily where Paper Mario Thousand Year Doors uh, music is 
kind of ch- really does change based on almost the mood that you're in for the town, for the combat, for everything. There's mm-hmm. so many tracks in this game. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's like the rest of the game. It's incredible. Uh, so much detail and so much time was put into this. It's lots of variety. It's always perfectly suited to the situation. Like the more in your face ones, like the yeah. boss themes always stood out to me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. god, yeah, the boss music is really good. <laughs> I do love that, like when you go from like a like a kind of a creepy cave or like a haunted house kind of setting where it's like you know, the music is very ominous and like creepy and slow, and then like it cuts to you know you touch another an enemy and then you skip to this battle music and it's all upbeat and happy and you're like on a stage and there's like people watching <laughs> you and then it goes back to the ominous music again. I love the tonal shift where it's like yeah. this is the fun part of the game, this is the creepy part of the game again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just brilliant. love that they can switch between the themes. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's at the end of the day. Like it is a kid's game and they definitely do like manage that balance perfectly well where you can, I would recommend this game too if you're like a 10 year old or like an adult like us, people in their 20s, like it's perfect for both. Yeah, everyone can enjoy it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Even people who can't read, like you, Kira, <laughs> when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, if they have someone to read it to them, then maybe. Yes, yes. You can read now. You can read now. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I figured it out eventually. <laughs> Good on your dad for uh, for reading that to you. That's uh, He's the MVP there, for sure. Yeah, I have mad mm. respect. Now I'm playing it myself. Like, that was a lot of reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like reading a book to your kid. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. really cute. I love that. It's a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Kira, for coming on today. Uh, we'll give you this time to plug anything that you're currently working on and your page, of course. All right. So I have my Instagram account, Toonie Twirls, where I post a lot about the GameCube games that I'm playing and what I'm collecting and that sort of thing. And uh, for any Zelda fans, I've also started up a second Instagram account just dedicated to Wind Waker mostly. It's called Tales of the Great Sea. Nice. That's perfect. What I mean, what other game do you need to talk about? That's, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's all we need. <laughs> so yeah. On there, I, mean, I post a lot of cutscenes from the game so far and just talk a lot about Toon Link because that's what I do in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing to be obsessed with. That's a good character. Mm. You should try make an Instagram page for every single GameCube game. You'd be the first one. <laughs> to <do it>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else am I going to do in my time? Why not? <laughs> Can't wait for the Poyo Pop Fever uh, uh, Instagram page. I saw you just just picked that one up. Yeah, I got a nice sealed copy. That was very nice. I also have um, a really tight, um, loose copy, whatever it's called, just so I can actually play the games without unsealing it. Mm. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, try good. to keep those games sealed. Try to keep them sealed as long as possible. Mm. Nice. I only, have a few, I, only have, I only have a couple of sealed games, so it's, it's nice whenever I get one. It's more than more than we have. And is that the current game that you're playing right now? Um, no, I haven't got onto it yet. I'm, <laughs> instead, I've decided to replay Twilight Princess and I'm going for 100% for the first time, so... Oh, very, very nice. nice. Yeah, I was raging today trying to catch a fish, so that's how it's going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see you then on the Twilight Princess episode whenever oh, we yes, have that. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be one of our last episodes, actually, so... Yeah. Oh, all right, that's very fitting. One of the last ones, so uh, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on before then. But until then, thank you so much again for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. Right. See you later, Kira. <laughs> Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kira, at Toonie Twirls for coming on today, talking about Paper Mario. I keep saying <laughs> I keep saying Mario Party, Neil, and I have to, like, stop myself. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door, uh, one of the greatest games ever made, that you will hear me say that at least 20 times this episode. <laughs> take, a, take a drink every time you hear me say that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, I love I, I love hearing people's stories with, like, you know, their parents. We talk about this a lot, how... 
Uh, your parents really just had no interest in video games whatsoever. No. Uh, my parents, uh, specifically my dad, did a lot. He was like interested in almost like watching me play. Yeah. Like he knew that this was like a big medium and that basically if you're a kid, you should get into it. But he didn't really want to play it himself. Mm. Uh, he just, quite, you know, just kind of like standing by and watching. <laughs> in the corner of the door, like just standing up against the door. Dad, do you want to sit down and play? No, I just want to watch. I just want to watch. I just, just want to watch. <laughs> and then, of course, here's dad who was playing Resident Evil 4. Obviously, cool dad right there. And then mm. reading uh, Paper Mario to her, yeah. uh, which is just a massive task because that would have taken so long to do. What a what a great dad. I, I feel bad I didn't ask. I wonder if he did, like, voices. You know, like how parents do voices oh, yeah. when they read story time. Like, do you think he did different voices for – get Kira back on here. We need to ask her. But uh, I would love to know if he did anything like that. But, no, that that is dad of the year status for sure. Does your parents – so my parents would read me Harry Potter. Uh, mm. That was the only one I remember. I'm sure they read me lots of other things. But I remember them reading me like the first two Harry Potter books and then I think I read the rest on my own. Uh, and I think my mom did the voices for like the first half of the book for the first one and just, just gave up. <laughs> like, up. She's like, you know what? This is, this is too much. <laughs> That's funny. Did no, your parents do that? I don't think so. The thing about my parents reading me stories is that for the first couple of years of my schooling, I was in French immersion. So they would read me books in French. So my parents doing voices was just them was, was just them faking a French accent. So, so that's what I associate with my parents reading books. They that's did really my, funny. my mom did read maybe half of the first Harry Potter book to me when I was a little bit older. I was almost old enough to read on my own by then though. But no, my, I associate my parents with faking French accents when they read to me as a kid, which is really funny. But no, really happy to have uh, Kira come on and talk to us about one of the greatest GameCube games and one of the greatest video games of all time, like you said. Really hope that Nintendo get their act together and uh, make this game playable for everyone. But uh, before then, Mike, I think we have another caller joining us today, and I can hear the phones ringing, so why don't we let them on right now? Phones are off the hook today, Neil. Off the hook. All right, and joining us today, Neil, is Jeff. And Jeff is a first-time caller to the show, so you know what that means. Jeff, did you ever own a GameCube back in the day? I did. I did. The original uh, Indigo Shade nice. was the one, I believe. Yep, yep. Indigo yes. Purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, they officially said Indigo. It was always purple in my mind. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, Indigo is, I mean, I guess Indigo is more blue. Uh, no. I don't know what I don't the know class colors. system is there. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't frequent a Benjamin Moore or anything like that. I, I, I stick with just purple, purple, black, and silver. Those were the colors that we got. Orange if you were in Japan or spice if you want to be fancy. And did you get this console as a gift or did you buy it on your own? Uh, it was a Christmas gift, I believe. Nice. And did Santa remember to give you the memory card when you got uh, when you got your GameCube? Uh, he did. Yes, he was nice. very uh, knowledgeable about the necessities <laughs> for the system. That's good. You'd be you'd be surprised how many people we have on, and they're like, "No, we just played the first twenty minutes of of Luigi's Mansion for the first two weeks until our parents, you know." <laughs> smartened up and got us a memory card it, it happened it was a, it was a tough transition to from the cartridge era to the disc era for a lot of nintendo fans yeah that sounds like a shame <laughs> yeah, i uh i was luckily not one of them but yeah lots of people uh did have that misfortune and when you got the the gamecube what what were some of the first games you got with it super mario sunshine was the one that i first started off on and that was incredible that's a very good first game. That's that's a good one. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the sunshine camp. So I, 64 yeah. was a, a little janky. It was fun, mm. but that camera yeah. killed me more times than anything else. Yeah, <laughs> the camera was the worst enemy in that game. Tough to go back to, but uh, maybe we'll get a remake of that game. But uh, Jeff, we brought you on today to talk to you about uh, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door on the GameCube. Uh, when you picked up this game back in the day, was this your first entry in the series or did you play the N64 game before that? 
Uh, yes, I did play the N64 one. That was the nice. what catapulted me into into all the Paper Mario games, or most of them, anyway. I love the N64 one. I played that front to back, start to finish, so many times. Because it was released at the end of the N64's life, it didn't get as much attention as Thousand Year Door, or as much attention as it deserved, I think. It's a great point, uh, because the Paper Mario on N64 is a, is an amazing game, and, and for a first outing in a series, like, it's pretty much flawless really like it's a it's a perfect game to go back to even today i played it on wii u of all things on the virtual console after playing uh super paper mario then i played thousand year door then i played paper i played them all in reverse basically was what i did (laughs) and they play really they play really well you'd think going from one to the two to the three would be the way to go but playing them in reverse i can appreciate all three of those games honestly i know which ones are better and which ones are obviously more rpg uh inspired games obviously but did, when you went from uh, Paper Mario to Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, did you notice like all the improvements that it made, or did you like the N sixty four game more? I noticed the improvements for sure. I felt it was a real rare case where the sequel improved on just about everything from the yeah. original. You don't see that a lot uh, in in games lately, from what from what I feel. Mm-hmm. They added they added new elements. They like. They made paper, they animated paper better somehow. There, there was little movements Mario had. It just added more personality to, to the characters and the environments. Yeah. Personality is definitely the, the name of the game here for sure. Like, uh, I think the, the, the Mario 64, Mario, Paper Mario 64 is, like Neil said, a perfect game for the time. It did everything well. Uh, but yeah, it is really rare to be able to see a franchise do this amazing game or put this amazing game out and then be able to top it again and and really refine everything, refine the controls, refine the, the, the characters. And one thing that uh, Neil and I really love about this game is the combat. What was your first, I guess, your first thoughts when, when you actually got into the combat system of this game? It felt a little off from when I played N64, but I think I, I the more I got used to it, the more... Uh more comfortable it felt, and then it was harder to go back to, to play the N64 mm-hmm. version. But I will always, always hate the fact that you fight on a stage. Mm. And then there's audience members that can just throw garbage (laughs) at you. I was going to say the same thing, that the audience, uh, I guess the audience mechanic in the game is just so weird to me. Like, you can appeal to the audience, which makes them like you. And if you don't, they randomly start throwing garbage at you. (laughs) And also, uh, like, pieces of the stage will also fall and hit you at random, which, like, you don't have a lot of time you can defend against, like, a light falling down and hitting you. But it's just something that, like, I feel like if that if that was taken out of the game, I would not miss it in the least. Like, it was not fun. It didn't make it didn't make the fighting any more fun, unless of course they threw an item at the enemy you were fighting. But sometimes, like, I would have one heart left, and then I just die because like a sandbag fell on my head for some random reason, and then that was the end of it. I had to go back to the my last save point and go through this this castle again or whatever. I, I get that like that's maybe a, a a theme in a lot of different RPGs, but it it could have been taken away, and I would have been just fine with that. Yeah, I guess it was something new they tried, but and I and I know they added there was more effects. The more you leveled up, like you could be randomly frozen for just three turns, and yeah. <laughs> there was nothing you had to say about it. And and po- and poisoned and like put to sleep and all that. But it oh everything it you, yeah yeah. But it made you have to be a bit more uh be a bit more strategic with the badges and the items. Did you did you find yourself using many of those throughout the game? I bit, I had a core group of badges that I would use. I never really did the uh, the min maxing mm. that the speedrunners do with doing ten hard runs and doing thirty eight points of damage in one turn. But <laughs> uh, I, I was more of the basics. Yeah. The badges are just so 
important. And this was really the first mm-hmm. RPG series that I ever dived into. Yeah, I was going to ask you that if you have had played RPGs before or since this. Oh, since this before. Uh, sure, this definitely got my piqued my interest, to say the least. I could see how things are are coated like in in different ways, but it's all generally the same thing. You have you have consumables, mm-hmm. you have items that'll make you stronger, like badges and powers that you'll gain through as you progress. And it's it just this one just had a Mario skin over the top of it, and that's <laughs> what I loved at the time. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly it. And I think I never got into RPGs that much after this, and uh, and I only played the Paper Mario's that came after this a little bit. Have you played any of the the newer ones? Only the the Switch one, the uh, Origami King, and I still haven't finished that yet, but I am enjoying it. The internet told me that a Sticker Star and Color Splash were just waste of time. And uh, Neil can tell you that it's a waste of time. <laughs> Those are the ones you can avoid. Yeah, Origami King was. Origami King was the one that was like the most people either love it or people really don't like it. It, it. Like the Color Splash and Sticker Star were the ones where like no one seemed to really be able to defend those two games, really. Uh, maybe a few reviewers could find something. But Origami King is the one that's come back and is like, oh, it's it's good. It's it's no Thousand Year Door, but it, it definitely is better than the last two, which is not a glowing review. But it, it does make me wish that more either, either first party or third party or indie developers would just take this template and make paper RPG games like take the thousand year door idea and just make a make a clone honestly i will take clones like, <laughs> i'm happy i will happily take clones we talked about this back on the chibi robo episode uh there's there's like a an indie developer making a little robot game where you're basically playing like a little chibi robo game uh the only one that i could find on switch at least is a game called bug fables which is very similar to paper mario it's the same 2d aesthetic the bright colors it's the same turn-based rpg style game have you played anything quite like paper mario since this series came out uh, I actually downloaded Bug Fables uh, oh, a few nice. months ago. Oh, perfect. Uh, from when uh, when the N64 or Paper Mario was put on the virtual console, mm-hmm. I kept looking to see if the Thousand Year Door would come out eventually. Um, <laughs> be, uh, some sort of re-release on the Switch. Keep looking. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, could, I could go into a whole other episode on... <laughs> why that wouldn't happen uh i don't think (laughs) i think nintendo wants people to forget about thousand year door but that's not going to happen but bug fables is a fantastic uh ode to it and i think the developers even said that paper mario was a big inspiration for it they should have that game on like the front of the eShop every time you go on because like <laughs> Nintendo's not going to make the classic uh, RPG anymore. So I'm, I'm glad to see indie developers do. I hope more do make it because it's been almost two years since even Bug Fables came out. And it's a game that I would love to check out. Honestly, I'll probably end up playing that before I play Origami King because if Nintendo doesn't want to make a game that I want to play, then I'm going to find an indie developer who wants to make it. And if these guys are so influenced by a game that Nintendo made that Nintendo is not willing to be influenced by, then I'm going to go to these indie developers. But that's... That's just me. You know, we talked earlier about all the different chapters in this game. And there are, I mean, in my opinion, almost all of them are, are great. But what would be your favorite chapter, you think? Oh, uh, it had to be chapter three, the whole t- fighting tournament. Yes, perfect. Was so new was so new to me. <laughs> and I loved every bit of it. Yeah, it was like a like a fight club kind of thing where you're in like this kind of ring match, like a re- like you're you get put into a fighting tournament basically. It's such a clever idea. And one of the few ones where like, if you lose a battle, you're not you don't get a game over screen. You're just back in the locker room. And they're like, oh, yeah. better luck next time, champ. <laughs> yeah. 
there are so many clever levels like that. Like my personal favorite, as well as of Glitz and Glory, that's the chapter you're talking about. Since that's the one where you get my favorite partner, the little Yoshi guy, I really like the level where you're on this kind of train and it's like a murder mystery almost with a uh, a detective who's a penguin. His name is Pennington. I think his name should have been Penguington, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but there's so many great little levels like that. Like I love all the haunted, like the haunted levels that, that take place at night. Like you're in this enchanted forest with these little almost Pikmin characters. And then you go to another town that's completely abandoned and all these ghosts are around. Like I just love how everything like everything changes from world to world and characters change based on the town that they're in yet everything feels so connected like you don't feel like you're going from level to level like in a classic mario game it it does tie together so well and from that fight club uh, level you do get my favorite partner yoshi did you have a favorite uh, partner to uh, to choose in many of your fights i think it was vivian Mm. just because you could put uh, the burn status on enemies too. And that would be like a slow kind of uh, chip away at their health basically, right? Yeah, like one one point per turn when you do yeah. that. And then she had a move that would hit all enemies on screen. So mm. if you're in if you're in trouble, you could always use that. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love Vivian, big fan uh, for sure. <laughs> and you mentioned about reasons why Paper Mario Thousand Year Door will not be on the Switch and why Nintendo wants us to forget about it. And I know that can be a whole episode, but I'd like to hear some of your reasons. <laughs> what, 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 I'm sure they're the same as ours, but, uh, but what do you have to say about that? I mean, it's consistently asked for by fans and it it wasn't really until the first i played it when it first came out which was 2004 mm-hmm. i think uh and then uh in early 2020 when everyone sort of went into lockdown said i dusted off my gamecube and started a you know i thought i would uh, start, start start fresh on on a new on a new save file the things you see i know when you when you play a game the second time like you'll you'll notice things that you missed same mm-hmm. thing with watching movies, but but boy, there were a lot of things uh, <laughs> that I missed as a kid for sure. And then as an adult, they're completely different. That's cool. One thing is that the your hub town in Rogueport just has a a noose yep. in the yep. center of the square, like where you'd normally see a statue or a fountain, maybe. But no, it's a it's a noose, and you can Mario can, Mario can walk up the stairs. I wonder if you stood out there long enough, you'd see a public execution. I'd like to know if that how how alive is this world really? Do you get to see like a crime get committed and then someone gets <laughs> someone gets hanged? Uh, you do see assault in the first That's five true. minutes in the town. Yeah. And theft. Uh, so there's yeah. two rival gangs, one of them being oh, yeah. the Piantas from Sunshine, yep. in in like tuxedos and sunglasses. Yeah, they they mug someone on the street in the background as you're talking to Toadsworth, I believe. And just mm-hmm. like, wow, this is. <laughs> as as a kid, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Like, now, I was like, this is incredible that this they they let Nintendo was able to let this all go. Or oh yeah, if I, someone just kept them in the dark, I don't know. <laughs> There's like peach shower scenes and oh, just I I could go on and on. The list is is long, but uh, it's it's incredible, really. That all this got in one game. Yeah, and, and character growth too. Like you, uh, one of your characters that you, uh, one of your partners that you get early on in the game is um, the Koopa, the Koopa kid. I think his name is just Koops. But he's got like this. He's trying to impress his dad, or he's trying to find his dad. He's trying to impress his uh, his this girl from town who who already likes him. He's just trying to be like a tough guy. He's got a band aid on his nose or something like. So you can tell that he gets bullied or something in school. He's just kind of he's just trying to prove to everybody that he can be tough. 
and like you know he's trying to find his long lost dad and then like you find this skeleton Koopa in in the castle and you're supposed to think that it's his dad for a minute like you think his dad yeah. is dead oh and my you're god reading, I forgot about that and you're reading like this dead Koopa's suicide or not suicide note but I guess like his deathbed message and then you realize that it's not Koopa's dad and he's like oh it's okay it's not my dad then they just move on <laughs> from this dead skeleton I thought that was one of the funniest yeah. scenes and like and it's just so morbid and something that you would never see in a Nintendo game today nothing like that no no nothing that like just laugh out funny it's so good that's crazy yeah i yeah. completely you unlocked that memory I, I haven't gotten there yet so uh playing it through this week so yeah wow that's such a good cutscene. love it thank you so much jeff for coming on today is there anything else you'd like to say about this wonderful game before we let you go only that i was never sure how mario survived the cannon that shot him to the moon <laughs> <laughs> for chapter for chapter seven like i don't know what number of bob bombs popped in the cannon to fire him <laughs> to the moon but the fact that he survived and made it and was not a scratch is incredible not not a single tear on that man and he unfolds himself quite often in this game into a paper airplane multiple times yet no creases at all he's very smooth very soft uh, he's very durable as a paper as a paper man i must say he's uh he's quite uh quite vital yeah. do you think he's laminated hmm. oh that's a good question <laughs> uh I don't know. He could be laminated. He does get wet. He does He does go into some hot places. I would say yes. My vote's yes. Mario, Paper Mario is laminated. Yeah, he probably he probably is. Yeah, we'll go with that. You should tweet <laughs> at Nintendo and ask them that. I, I'm concerned now. <laughs> I'm concerned for Mario's well-being. <laughs> I've never seen a laminating machine, but I'm sure they're out there. But <laughs> That would be a good, like, power-up, like, laminated. Like, you know, and yeah. if you get hit too many times, you become unlaminated. So then you have to walk through the world with basically, you know, like, 1% health. Because, like, mm. anything will destroy this piece of paper. <laughs> That's the easy mode, is that you can, you can play laminated mode, so, like, less things hurt you if you're if you're covered in that sheen, that shiny plastic. The biggest thing I have with a uh, problem with Origami King is how you fight office supplies. Oh, oh, really? I didn't know about this. I haven't played enough of the game to know yet. What do you fight? Do you fight, like, a stapler? The first boss is, like, a box of colored pencils. And oh. the second boss is, like, a roll of tape. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't like this about Origami King, or you do? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I liked when they point out the fact that they're made out of paper a little mm. bit too much. Mm. In, in oh. it. They talk about the folds and the creases and okay. how being folded into origami is horrifying. That, that, that for me is the biggest break in the Paper Mario series. It's not so much the degradation of the RPG uh, influences. It's more so that they... They keep on just harping on the fact that everybody's everybody's made of paper, everybody's foldable, everyone's flat. It's like they don't do that in the early games. They they just make jokes about like how all of these characters have lives, whereas in the later games they talk about you know people being folded too many times or people having a crease and we or, you know whatever it is. And yeah, it's a little too on the nose, but yep. um, yeah, that's a, that, that that's kind of cool though. I don't know, like Origami King. I'll jump in on it someday, but I think Bug Fables is first on my list for flat RPGs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Good recommendation. Definitely got to check out Bug Fables. And thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on today. We really appreciate your time. And yeah, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Oh, not a problem. Thank you. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Take care. See you later. See ya. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on today, talking about Thousand Year Door. Great game, obviously. Great franchise. And now you have a new game to pick up, Neil. I know, yeah, I wasn't expecting to get that uh, that recommendation from Jeff. I didn't know anybody actually ever heard of that game before, Bug Fables. I just happened to find it a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, just starting to play Paper Mario again for this episode, and then it came up as a recommended game based on this game. Uh, not so much the future Paper Mario games, it was more this indie game called Bug Fables that was like 
Paper Mario, and I was like, oh, great. So there is a game like Paper Mario that I can play <laughs> that I can't play made by Nintendo. I love that indie developers are taking the reins on that. Like, we haven't had an F-Zero game in yeah, what, I was thinking 15, that 15 years now, but we've had Fast Racing RMX, which is a fantastic game. Uh, we haven't had Chibi Robo, but that's okay because we're getting that tiny the tiny Tales game. I forget what it's called now. Uh, but then with Paper Mario, we don't get the classic Paper Mario games, but we are getting Bug Fables. And we get the Origami King-like games, which Jeff said is okay, but he doesn't love the the over-the-top jokes about paper and, and folding and origami in the games. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, like the, the on-the-nose stuff. Yeah, I, I, mm. I know it's the game is called Paper Mario. I get it. Like, I don't need this to be explained to me. And that's one of the things I right. love so much about Thousand your door is that it doesn't feel like it's it's paper necessarily like they they do a good job of just putting the subtle paper in really just animations for the most part and then when you're you're going like you're moving around uh like switching sides you know you kind of disappear for a second because you're so Mm -hmm. thin uh like i love stuff like that that's a really good subtle way to showcase the paperness uh of the world rather than being like uh, you know, using the dialogue uh, over and over again, or just I know in uh, some of the in Origami King, yeah, it's like every boss is paper esque. Yeah, it just takes you out of it because like the characters all feel so alive and real. Like they all yeah. have, like I've said before, they all have like relationships with each other. They all like Coops has this his dad that he's trying it's to possibly find his dad, <laughs> his possibly dead father, his this girl who may or may not like him. Uh, you've got like the the retired Babom. Like all of these characters have a history. And, like, when you talk to people, like, like real people, I mean, now, like, no one makes a reference on how 3D they are. Like, that's not a thing. That, that's, <laughs> that's not true. a thing. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, it's not a real life thing. Like, no one makes a reference. Some people do, like, make references to how tall they are or how big they are or how whatever they are. Like, that that might be a thing that people make every so often, but it's not something that they base their personality off of, you know? Like, it yeah, just, it, yeah. it takes you out of the game so much when, when they're constantly making references to it. But nonetheless, the new games are still okay. It's just, like, those jokes kind of take the place of the jokes from the older games that could be happening today, like Coop's finding this dead character that could be his dad and find, turns out it isn't. That could have just as easily been replaced with a joke about being paper. And we yeah. wouldn't be, we would not be talking about that joke 20 years later. I can guarantee it. That's very true, Neil. That's very yeah. true. All right, Michael, that feels like a pretty good place to stop now for today. We've had two callers on. We've talked about our memories of Paper Mario, and I think that this is going to be a pretty long episode. We already said we're going to split this into two days. So uh, so let's end this half, and we'll be back tomorrow with part two of Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. That's right, Neil. It is uh, another two-parter. We did two-parter way back on the Wind Waker episode, and mm-hmm. that was fun. And, and you know what? Uh, for me personally, I like it the idea of listening to two hour and 15-minute episodes rather than, you know, a three-hour episode total. I know some people probably are fine with listening to a three-hour episode. And that's totally cool. But this way we get more stats, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to boost those March numbers for sure. Yeah, no. If you want to hear the sound of our voice for three hours, we really appreciate that as a compliment. Uh, but uh, you'll get us back-to-back days this week, which is another little extra bonus for you. And that's for everyone, not just our patrons. That's right. That's right. And tomorrow we'll be having some great guests on, including a very special guest who has been on at some point earlier in this uh, in this podcast's history. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Miyamoto, of course. That's right. Miyamoto, <laughs> one and only Koji Kondo, Miyamoto, uh, Reggie. It's mm-hmm. just going to be a big day. <laughs> yeah, we got Miyamoto, but we did not get his translator. That was the issue. So unfortunately, Miyamoto could not make it due to the fact that his translator is busy. That was the issue, I think. <laughs> that Yeah, that's the issue. Yeah. We could have just had him talk for like an hour and just see what comes out. We would not have understood it, but it would have been nice nonetheless. That's right. <laughs> but until tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 90, part one of our Thousand Year Door episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday 
Thursday, sometimes Friday, on all the major podcast services. Leave us a five-star rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. We don't know how early. That varies. Thank you to all of our supporters over there. You can also follow us for free on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We are at the GameCube Pod, and you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel called The GameCube Was Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Pennington, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. And Goombella will also see you tomorrow. You know, she says, uh, she has a quote, Neil. Uh, it says, I already hate it here. There are freaks and weirdos everywhere. It's nasty. <laughs> that's, that's where I, I think we can all relate to that. We can all relate to Bella's that. Bella's a wise soul for sure.